Hi there, and welcome back to the Untold Stories of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast. This is another episode in our Characters series. I'm Jason Ryle. The Caribou Chilcotin Coast, for those that don't know the region, is an absolutely massive region. It's 600 kilometers wide from near the Alberta border all the way to the Pacific Ocean on the western coast of BC. It's an absolutely massive region. The region itself has well over 8,000 freshwater lakes for people to fish in and tons of different resorts and outlets for people that are looking for uh, any kind of travel experience that you might be interested in, whether it's cultural experiences, whether you're looking for adrenaline kind of experiences, whether you just want to go and float around on the lake and um, you know beat the water with your fishing rod and do your best that way. We have an endless supply of recreational opportunities. Now, with me on the character's episode with me today is a man who I've had the pleasure of knowing over the last, I'm going to say five or six years, and has a past life which is kind of connected to tourism that I really want to learn a little bit more about today, and that is Tim Milne. Tim joins me on the phone today. Hey, man, how's it going? Great. How are you doing today, Jason? So far, so good, Tim. Now, I like to start off the show with letting people know what I know about you. And then after that, we can delve a little bit deeper into, like I mentioned, your past history, your past lives, uh, and uh, the things that you've done to get you to where you are today. You cool with that? Absolutely. All right. So what I know about Tim Milne is you are the current host and is it fair to say executive producer of Big Coast TV? That would be correct. Yeah, we've been doing it for almost 15 years, I guess. Tell me more about the show, Big Coast TV. Ooh, Big Coast started, well, close to 15 years ago. We, uh, we've been in television production and film production for a long time. Um, close to 25 years now, but originally we did a lot of work in backcountry ski and snowboard, Warren Miller type stuff, heli skiing, first descents and what have you, and uh, put a lot of years in, in the mountains, um, risking our butts and seeing the province from above, and spent a lot of time up in the BC Central Coast, uh, specifically out of Bella Coola, heli skiing, and really started falling in love with the area way back then. So your connection to fishing from skiing was through Bella Coola, is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd always been a fisherman, uh, obviously, and put a lot of time in, but we reached a point with a lot of our big backcountry stuff where we were having kids and getting older and our wives didn't want us risking our asses jumping out of helicopters anymore or what have you. And around that same time, we were fishing up on the central coast of Fairmount and, uh, on a lark, we just decided to shoot a fishing episode or two, and uh, needless to say, we liked it and loved fishing, so it was a direction we, we took shortly thereafter, and and literally that's what we've been up to now for the last 15 years in uh, the Great Bear Rainforest and BC Central Coast. So uh, I, I don't want to stray too far away from your TV show for a, a minute here, uh, Tim. So what is it that makes Big Coast different than other fishing shows that I've seen uh, glimpses of on, on the regular TV channels? Well, I guess calling Big Coast a fishing show probably wouldn't be doing it justice or, or how we perceive it anyway. It's as much a boating and a traveling and ecosystem show as it is fishing. Granted, we're, we're pretty focused on the sport fishing end, but a lot of fishing shows, you'll see them fishing beside a dock or, 
or not traveling far or a lake somewhere, whereas, you know, we might put the boat in the water in Port Hardy and travel up to Prince Rupert, and each summer we work our way down the coast. So it's uh, it's a big production with a lot of travel involved, and uh, it's very unique in that sense. So it's not the kind of um, fishing, like you're not available for private charters for people to come along that want to get on the show, and they're like, well, I'm going to hire that guy and work it out that way? No, there's uh, there's lots of private charters and great professional guides out there on the BC coast. Uh, we certainly could do that, but we spend all of our time literally in production from from April through to October, really. Uh, and we have to travel a lot of distance producing the show. So, like I said, we'll we'll roll from Prince Rupert in Alaska all the way down the coast and, and spend a ton of time in the Great Bear. So, there uh, there isn't a lot of time for charters, and we really just focus on putting together the best episodes and series that we can each year. Okay, so like I mentioned, uh, these are things that I know about you, and you've already referenced it uh, here a couple of times, and that is your previous life where you used to shoot uh, like extreme skiing uh, kind of episodes and very Warren Miller-esque kind of shows. Tell me a little bit more about your previous life there, because a quick Google search, Tim, associates you with some of Canada's big legendary sports names. I was fortunate and have been throughout my life to do a bunch of coaching and be involved in a number of sports, canoe, kayak. Uh, I was a BC provincial coach for a long time in my youth and uh, a lot of involvement in snowboards. So we, uh, we skewed things to the backcountry for a lot of years, helicopters and snowmobiles and, and did that more extreme type of production, a la Warren Miller and, and some filming stuff. Um, so that was really our bread and butter for a lot of years. And, uh, with my coaching background, I, I got to work with the national team as well. Uh, coached Team Canada for a number of years leading up to the 2010 Olympics and had a chance to be an Olympian and go through all that, which was, uh, which was extraordinary. So I've been fortunate. I've had a front row seat to a lot of, uh, of cool sporting events and, and athletes in Canada over the years. No kidding. And, you know, when it comes to snowboard cross, correct me if I'm wrong in what I understand about it, like your role in snowboard cross was the first of its kind in an Olympic venue. Is that right? Yeah, we're fortunate to be, you know, on the cusp of that sport coming on uh, leading up to 2010. Um, Snowboard cross wasn't a new sport at the time, pardon me. Snowboard Cross hadn't been around for a long time, so I was fortunate to be involved on the TV production end for the better part of a decade with Sportsnet and Outdoor Life Network, CTV, Rogers, what have you. And uh, it ultimately led to some coaching, and I got involved in that way. You sound very humble, like you're trying to downplay this, uh, Tim. And uh, I know that's kind of you, but at the same time, because of your role in coaching Snowboard Cross and in just snowboarding period, you've worked with, uh, like I said, some of Canada's legendary sports athletes. Myel Ricker comes to mind. It's a who's who list. Yeah, again, I was fortunate and a little bit humble about it because I was fortunate to be close to a lot of great athletes. And as a coach, you you get a front row seat to some incredible things sometime. And uh, You mentioned Myel Ricker, and she would be a, a prime example of that. You know, I was fortunate to be part of the coaching team for 2010. Myle Ricker won the gold medal uh, in Vancouver in snowboard cross. And uh, that was the first ever gold medal won by a Canadian female on home soil. So to be part of that whole experience and the stresses and everything that went with it was uh, a once in a lifetime shot. So 
that might have been the pinnacle of uh, of my coaching and involvement with a lot of athletes. But I, I've been fortunate to to be involved at that Olympic level for a number of years. So it was. Uh, it was extraordinary, really. Right on, Tim. This, that's something about you that I didn't realize until I, I did a quick Google search this morning and, and just, you know, some of these names started popping up and I'm like, holy cow, my buddy Tim, the guy that I've known now for, I don't know, five, six or uh, more years, um, has had this previous life uh, almost as a celebrity and it's nothing that you've ever really mentioned in the past. So it's just very cool. I just, I'm kind of geeking out here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks buddy. I, I had fun with it. You know, time really flies. And I, I was just talking to a good friend of mine this afternoon about this last decade. And I, I mean, it's hard to believe with, you know, the anniversary of the 2010 Olympics just passing us by here, that a decade has flown by in such a short period of time. So but I don't make reference to it a whole lot because time's flown so quickly since I kind of got away from it. You know, the last bunch of years, we've really been focused on what we're doing on the coast and in the Great Bear. But uh, it's it's a great experience to have come through. And uh, it taught me a lot in life, you know, and not too many people get that experience to, to walk out in opening ceremonies or, or be part of an, an Olympic win. It was truly, truly extraordinary. Right. And I'll, uh, I'll never forget it. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Tim, is if you can tell me a little bit more about Sacred Ride. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you a little bit more about Sacred Ride. It was, uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a past TV series we did here in British Columbia. And I think I'd mentioned I, I worked a lot on the World Cup snowboard coverage with, with Sportsnet and a number of networks. Uh, right back when snowboarding started, this would have been oof, 90. 96, 97, maybe we were doing the first broadcast for, for Canadian television with a lot of the competitive snowboarding. So, uh, I forget where we're going with that buddy, but it was cool. <laughs> well, yeah, just that, uh, it was one of those things that popped up on your Google resume that sacred oh. ride was something you were involved in. I, I guess just being a fan of media in general and a broadcaster in my own right, you know, it, it's just cool to talk about these kinds of experiences because, Oftentimes, you sure you're showcasing the sporting aspect of it, but at the same time, especially when it comes to landscape kind of sports, you're also showing off the region that you're in too. Sure, and that's a that's a lesson we learned a long time ago with Sacred Ride. You know, I mentioned we we did a lot of the TV broadcast coverage for the major networks and what have you, but it, it really was missing out on an essence of the sport back then and. Things were really starting in the backcountry uh, around the late 90s. You know, there was first ascents and, and heli skiing was really starting to take off. And we were pioneering first lines out there all over the province in different mountain ranges. And, uh, snowboarding was always a lot bigger than the competition. So we, we learned at that point that showcasing some of this travel and the incredible places that we were, we were getting an opportunity to see and really living a privileged life in British Columbia, you know, getting getting a look down at the province from above, there's nothing like it. So uh, we learned some lessons early on in that production and Sacred Ride was, was key to all that. But we, uh, we dove a little bit deeper and tried to, tried to showcase some of these beautiful places and, and great athletes we were working with. And now it sounds like you get to do that through a different kind of venue with Big Coast because you're showcasing still, you know, beautiful landscapes and, and in some cases, sacred areas on BC's West Coast. There's no question. It's uh, Production-wise, it's not all that different. I mean, ironically, back in the day, we, we got really tired of, of watching weather all the time and 
and snowpacks and avalanche conditions. And there was just so many variables that, that you know, after a while it got overwhelming and we'd done it for a lot of years. So we, we had an opportunity to move into the coastal work, but lo and behold, you know, in the end it wasn't any easier or, or what have you. There's just as many logistics on the water and just as much danger doing the kind of boating we do. So you're, you're always at the uh, whims of the weather and you have to operate out there pretty smart if you want to, uh, you want to stay alive and keep doing it year to year. No kidding. I mean, when you're trying to deal with Mother Nature, who really doesn't care whether or not you're trying to shoot a TV show or not, uh, you're really at her mercy a lot of the times. Have you ever had any uh, dicey experiences on the coast where you know, Mother Nature was showing you who was boss? <laughs> yeah, every summer. <laughs> <laughs> or fall or spring or what have you. Yeah, there you really are at the whim of Mother Nature all the time on the coast and you learn a massive respect and you know we were fortunate to learn that early on with a lot of the mountain work we did and it really just carried over to the coastal and ocean stuff because if you don't show mother nature that same kind of respect you can get yourself in some really hairy situations quickly and and conditions on the ocean can change you know and in no time whatsoever so you you really have to be on top of the weather and the conditions and, and playing smart. So in your experiences on the coast then, Tim, you must be working a lot with some of the indigenous people along BC's West Coast. What's that experience been like for you? It's been incredible, really. I mean, the, the Great Bear Rainforest specifically, I mean, there's there's some First Nations that are uh, that are otherworldly. The, the culture is phenomenal. Um, over the years, the people have touched me. Some of the nicest, finest people you'll you'll ever meet that have an incredible connection to their traditional territory uh, and the land about them, and I think that's that's something as a as a human race that we're we're missing, and uh, it's nice to see it still uh, still so prevalent in those First Nation communities. Is the connection to the uh, connection to the land really is what you're talking about? Absolutely, it's uh, it goes back to the stewardship and you know the the love and connection to the land that the First Nations on our coast feel um, and practice, right? And it's uh, it's special. Uh, there's something in there that we can all learn from. So, can you tell me a little bit more about some of your adventures in the Great Bear? Like, what is it that sets the Great Bear rainforest apart from other rainforests? I mean, or, or is it on equal footing with? probably the most famous other rainforest in the world is the Amazon rainforest. Are we talking apples to apples here? Um, not having a lot of Amazon experience. That's a bit of a tough one, but I, I know that there's a lack of wild places left on earth, right? And the Great Bear Rainforest is truly one of those. Um, there's no place like it if you're, if you're looking for solitude or, or you have uh, a passion for the frontier. Um, putting yourself in places where you're responsible for your own safety and, and operation and what have you. Um, so it's unique in that regards. But the, the landscape, uh, the waterscape, the seascape, whatever you want to call it, is it's one in a million, or I don't even know what the number would be. Uh, I've often compared uh, the Great Bear to the Serengeti. I've done a couple trips Africa-wise, and uh, and seen some pretty cool things, and the the wildlife and the opportunity to experience a, an unbelievably wild ecosystem uh, is like none other in the Great Bear. It's one of the great attractions of the place. Wow, that's uh, that's no small description, Tim. Well, you know, you're dealing with grizzly bears and and humpback and blue whales and fin whales and killer whales and 
and eagles and all sorts of marine mammals. It's just, uh, it's a wild place and it's, uh, it's a raw landscape and those places are tough to find. So it's, uh, it's special in that regard for sure. So I, we have to, or I have to remember that to look at this through a, a bit of a tourist's lens and because you work on the water and on the land uh, through both your TV show and just through your own personal experiences along the BC's West Coast, what are some of the things that you want people who are tourists that want to come to the area to be aware of or know before you go kind of thing? Well, I think first and foremost that it is a wild place uh, and that is the attraction to it. So you have to show the place respect no matter how you're, you're taking it in. Uh, you know, whether it's by a sailing charter or uh, or any number of experiences within the Great Bear, you're dealing with a wild place. And uh, I don't think anybody would like it any different. It's it's truly the beauty of, of the Great Bear. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what you mean by that it's a wild place is that tourists shouldn't expect to come to the Great Bear Rainforest and expect... Um, you know, a, a well-groomed trail for them to experience when they get off the boat to go, uh, you know, hike around the land kind of idea that everything is still very raw and the same, in the same condition that it's been for millennia. Am I right in kind of trying to define what you mean by wild place? Uh, absolutely. They, uh, it's wild in the sense that it's always been that way. The First Nations have over 10,000 years of history on Calvert Island, uh, outside Rivers Inlet. They found footprints two years back, I guess, that dated over 13,000 years. So it's some of the oldest recorded history in North America. Um, so there is that, that huge amount of history behind the place embodied by all the First Nations that are still there. And I mean, really, uh, things haven't changed that much over time. Obviously, the boats and technology and what have you are different, but a lot of the First Nations still embrace um, their original ways. And I think that's that's really important, that a tourist coming into the Great Bear can experience something authentic, and it truly is authentic. There's nothing manufactured or created or, or contrived in the name of tourism. You know, there's First Nations and some operators within the Great Bear that, that want to give you that authentic Great Bear experience. And I think that that opportunity is there. There's not many places where you can find that these days. Now, I think at the same time, while tourists that come to visit the area should expect that they're going to get a very raw, very natural kind of uh, ungroomed experience, at the same time, you know, there are places of luxury as well that they can visit to rejuvenate or clean themselves up. Like it's, it's, even, it's much more than that. It's, it can be very high-end and very luxurious if that's what they're looking for, correct? There are opportunities within the Great Bear and some lodges that are extremely high-end. And there's a, there's a good offering of, of different experiences, depending on what the tourist is looking for. Uh, some of those would be, you know, very authentic and bare bones, where some lodges might provide you, you know, the full luxury you'd expect from going to some place that's not nearly as remote. So one of the cool things about it is there's there's a lot of different ways to package up your trip into the Great Bear, whether it be with with ferries or flying in Pacific Coastal to a lodge or chartering a boat or or what have you. So it's uh, it's cool. 
And that's something that tourists should keep in mind as well, is that the Great Bear Rainforest, and for all that we've heard about it and, and how magnificent it is, it is not a place that you can just simply drive to. No, you certainly can't drive to most of it. I mean, you can drive down to Bella Coola, even that's not an easy drive. It's, uh, it's an inaccessible place, by and large. You can't get there by vehicle, save driving into Bella Coola, but the First Nations communities from from Harley Bay down to Clem to Bella Bella. Uh, these places are all air or water access only. So it's part of what keeps the Great Bear remote and authentic. That in itself should tell a lot of people that because it is remote and that it, you can't simply drive there, that you need to be prepared for that raw, that, that rough, if you will, experience of it's not easy to get to. And, uh, not only uh, pack out what you pack in, but be prepared that, you know, if Mother Nature decides, you may wind up being, uh, not stranded, stranded is the wrong word, but you may wind up being uh, locked in a place until Mother Nature decides that it's okay to leave. So there is that raw ruggedness that uh, people need to be aware of. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's certainly the essence of the coast. It is that raw experience and it can manifest itself in a number of ways and there's different experiences you can hunt down in the great bear and try to partake in but it's uh it's cool in that regards for sure jason so the question that's that i'm having a hard time not asking tim is have <laughs> you have you seen a great bear a spirit bear i have seen a spirit bear i was uh I was quite fortunate a number of years ago in Clem to, to uh, get out on the water with a good buddy of mine, Vern Brown. And uh, I saw a spirit bear for the first time, and we did a bunch of filming uh, in that neck of the woods. And uh, it, it's a pretty amazing experience. They're, uh, they're not easy animals to, uh, to locate, and the opportunities to see them are few and far between. So it's, uh, it's pretty neat when you get the opportunity. So what were you doing at the time that you saw them? Were you just sailing by in a boat? Uh, no, we were doing some filming with uh, with a couple of bear guides at a Clintu and Spirit Bear Lodge, and I'd actually I, I was running my boat, so I pulled it up in a bay, and one of the guides and my cameraman went on board and went up a, a small creek where they'd been sighting spirit bears, I guess, for the previous week or so, and I waited on the boat because it was windy and terrible. I couldn't just anchor the big boat up and leave it there, so I sat on the back of the boat having a coffee while the cameraman and bear guides went up the uh, up the creek. And while I was sitting there having my coffee, kicking back in a lawn chair, on the back of the boat, a uh, Komodi bear walked out on the beach right in front of me and proceeded up to the creek where the crew was. And they filmed for another half hour or something up there with the bear, but I, uh, I got my chance to see him walking out along the beach right behind the boat. It was uh, It was an experience I'll never forget. No kidding. And just an absolutely rare experience at that. That's very cool, Tim. Yeah, they're, they're needles in a haystack, right? It's, uh, it's the coastal unicorn, so to speak. They're not easy to see, and there's only a few places that you can see them. And you certainly need the expertise and, uh, and access from First Nations. They're the experts to get you in there. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like no other experience. So you've now, you're into, you said, nearly 15 seasons of Big Coast TV, and you've spent plenty of time on the Central Coast. What are some of your favorite places, and and why are they your your favorites? You know, that's one I do get asked 
fairly frequently, oddly enough. Hmm. And I, I always struggle with it because, man, it, to, to nail it down to one place is really tricky. It's, it's quite a region and diverse, you know, within itself. Um, a number of those communities are fantastic. I mean, I've had, had a lot of great time from Harley Bay down to Klemtu and Princess Royal Island and not just Kermode bears, but some of these drainages, you get an opportunity to go up with big grizzly and you're, uh, you're on foot and experiencing a grizzly habitat like nothing else. It's, it's, uh, it's an experience that's even hard to put into words. I, I find personally like the big grizzly territory is uh, that's the one that gets me more than the spirit bear for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, well I, I think you know me well enough now that you know that bears, um, uh, they're one of my, uh, uh, how would I describe? Well, I have a healthy respect for anything that can eat me. And, and um, you know, obviously I, I have to ask, have you had any run-ins, Tim? Have you have ever had one of those, uh, holy crap, my pants moments? Like, uh, I don't know what I got myself into now. Uh, I've had a couple, you know, those are the things you definitely try to steer clear of. And I'm, I'm fortunate that some of the people I'm connected with are serious experts in the bear world, uh, something I am not. Um, but yeah, we've had some, uh, some moments over the years where we've been maybe closer to grizzlies than you, uh, you would have liked to be. Um, a few years ago outside of Clemtu, we, uh, we, I wouldn't say we were charged, but a big grizz came running our way. And uh, it was it was pretty scary, right on a right on a riverbank. But it was actually chasing a wolf, which peeled off in front of us, and the bear followed. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't without a few moments of trepidation. So when you're getting close to those bears, you really need to uh, to have your experts around you, and there's a definite way to conduct yourself and uh, and operate. No kidding, man. I don't know if that would be better or worse that, oh, there's a grizzly, uh, but it's chasing a wolf. Oh, and look, they're running right towards me. Uh, <laughs> either way. Other- yeah, it's a, it's a moment. There's no no question, right? But again, the people that, are, uh, that really know the bears and some of the First Nations bear guides are absolutely phenomenal. They, they have an understanding of the bears and the ecosystem way beyond what what we would even be able to comprehend. So Absolutely. You know, there's certain times of year when, uh, when the salmon are in the river or what have you, the bears are, they're feasting away. They're not so interested in the human population. And earlier in the season, they're down on the waterfront eating the sedge grass. So there's, there's times where, where the bears are, are not all that interested in humans or, or what have you. But again, I can't, can't understate enough how important the expertise is to have with you in moments like those. So how long has it been over the 15 seasons, uh, roughly, Tim, that it's taken you this long to build up some of the relationships that you have with the Indigenous communities on the West Coast? Yeah, certainly. You know, those those relationships aren't built overnight. Um, fantastic people, but you have to earn their trust. And, you know, I spend a lot of time on the water and, and have in these communities over the years, so... I like to think we uh, we operate in a good fashion, and it's why we have a lot of longstanding friendships out there in the Great Bear. All right, so we're just about out of time, Tim. So I just want to ask you kind of an open-ended question, and that's what's next for you? Well, I guess the one thing we haven't talked on is the awesome fishing that you find in the Great Bear. Some of the some of the most prized Chinook salmon roll down through the coast. So there's there's an opportunity, not like there was ten or twenty years ago, but the angling and chasing these big, 
big Chinook salmon and, uh, and being involved in a catch and release fishery and the salmon conservation is something that's quite dear to me. So we, uh, we work a lot on that end and, and certainly the, uh, the fishing still a big part of what we do. Yeah, you you and I had a conversation about this earlier this year when we met, that you did some work at a hatchery uh, there, and even then I could tell that it was really important to you. It, it is, and I mean, anybody that's spent enough time around salmon, not just the Great Bear, but the whole BC coast, you understand the, the conservation concerns these days. They're, they're growing, and they're troubling, and they're challenging. So anyone that's invested in the coast, and, and certainly salmon, knows that it's a, a challenging time. So any way you can give back, um, practicing conservation or being involved in, in some hatchery work or what have you is a great thing. So I think you see more and more salmon people getting involved on that conservation end. So it's it's something we're keen on. Is that something that you hint at or uh, feature on your show? We haven't killed a big salmon in years. Uh, we've been practicing catch and release on anything over 25 pounds for, for seasons and seasons now. Just trying to allow those big fish a chance to get back up into the river and spawn. So it's uh, it's something we've been practicing for a long time. And I've been fortunate the last three or four years to work with the Percy Walkers Hatchery up in Rivers Inlet, which is the producer of some of the biggest salmon on the entire coast. So it's uh, it's an important piece of my life and something I hold dear. At this stage of the game, uh, is just anything else that you want people to understand about you, your show, uh, the West Coast, or the Great Bear Rainforest? Uh, just that it, it truly is that special and wild place, and there's there's not many of them left on Earth. I consider myself incredibly fortunate to be able to to make my living and ply my trade on the BC coast as much as I can, and uh, uh, we don't have any uh, any intention of slowing down anytime soon. We're having a blast out there. Are we missing anything? Is there anything in the connection to the region that you might want to mention? I've been fortunate to work with uh, Caribou Chilcote and Coast for over a decade now, uh, dating back to our heli ski time. So it's uh, it's something that, again, I hold dear to my heart, but I've been fortunate to work in tourism and, and with some of these First Nations communities uh, in their evolution in tourism and what have you. So it's... Uh, that's kind of key to what we do, and hopefully in the future we'll uh, we'll see the Great Bear not only utilized but preserved, and and all the tourism has to be incredibly responsible up there because it's such a fragile ecosystem. So it's uh, that's just kind of how we roll, Jason. How important do you think tourism is as an industry and as a, a part of the economy to the Caribou-Chilcotin coast region? You've traveled in the region extensively now. How important do you think tourism really is? Oh, I think tourism is absolutely key to these northern and more remote communities. Uh, there's there's special places in the north, and especially the Caribou-Chilcotin coast. People that know the region and you've touched on just how big it is. Uh, it's phenomenal and diverse, like from the Caribou to up on the Chilcotin and to Cowboy Land to to the coast. There's there's literally everything within the region. So it's uh, yeah, I don't know the diversity of it all. I think is fantastic, and and the coast is definitely a unique key part of that too. Right on, Tim. Thanks very much, man. Uh, one last uh, parting plug for you. Uh, when can people catch Big Coast TV? Big Coast airs 12 months a year on a number of networks from Czech TV to the Patterson Networks to Outdoor Channel. Um, so we're, we're around and 
And certainly with uh, Great Bear Tales and a bunch of the work we do with tourism, our, our content and a lot of the stories are, are being portrayed better and better all the time. And if people want to find out more about uh, the things that you do and, and Big Coast and uh, the other uh, irons in the fire that you have, Tim, where's some place they can go? You got a website? We've got a couple for you there, yeah. Uh, www.greatbeartales.com. Uh, encompasses a lot of the feature work and uh, and stories from the Great Bear Rainforest we do. And www.bigcoasttv is the website for the series. And uh, we're just getting ready for production here uh, coming up in the next couple of months. So it's uh, an exciting time as always. Awesome. Thanks very much for sharing some of your time with me today, Tim. Uh, I look forward to the next time we get a chance to sit down and BS together and talk tourism. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's awesome.